0: And next on to NURFM, it's Thursday Finance with Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein, and we're going to take a look at uh, superannuation. And sometimes you just might want to get hold of your superannuation savings in advance of the time you're supposed to. When can you and how can you? That's coming your way in Thursday Finance. We'll also have our weekly market snapshot with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. See what's happening around the traps as far as commodities go. And, uh, well, a question to start off with about unemployment. There's been some new figures just coming out. It seems the Hunter's not doing too well, Stephen. Oh, the, the
1: Hunter's got one of the, one of the highest unemployment rates uh, in Australia, and you'd expect that it's it's going to probably continue to increase. I mean, the... Is the, it
0: mainly the youth or is it oh, older people as well? Oh, youth unemployment's
1: always a problem. Um, the were downturn in the mining industry. Um, there's continuing to be people put off in both the mines and in ancillary uh, services. Um Really, I mean, the, the council's proposing a, a some task force be set up, um, but you know, I, I'm not sure what that's going to achieve. You know, the steps need to be taken to create um, additional industries in the region and boost uh, boost the industries.
0: So we just keep hearing about more and more companies deciding they've got to cut down on, on workers. And, um, and Well, the there's,
1: there's, I think the insolvency numbers are showing that there's more and more companies going... Um, uh, and businesses struggling and, and going broke. So they've really got no time and no choice but to to cut down on the workers.
0: Yes. And uh, if that continues, is that going to impact on the general economy in our region? Oh, I, well? I think
1: it always has. It already has. I mean, a number of my retail clients are telling me things are, uh, are quite are quieter than they have been for a long time. So, so, you know, if there's unemployment, people spend less money at the, the, the you know, buying magazines and... And various things go out less for for dinner, you know, although Beaumont Street street still seems quite busy. But but um, you know, people go out less, and, and that flows through to other other um, other other jobs as well.
0: It's rather hard to see how to turn that around.
1: Well, you know you've got, you've got to create you've got to, you've got to create an environment to, to foster um growth and jobs, and you know, putting um your rates up by forty nine percent isn't really a, 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 um something that's going to assist in job creation. Businesses, you need to look at costs being cut. And, you know, despite all the talk about red tape being reduced, it's actually getting worse. I mean, there's been 7,000 new pages of income tax legislation introduced in the last three years. I mean, you know. So and you've, you've read them all, <laughs> and then Asics use a pay system that they've got a consultation fee on it. The fees they're proposing to charge are horrendous.
0: Mm, okay, so we're so, not looking as though we're grappling properly. No, at the I, problem I think we yet. need to
1: look at a general cost reduction, and you know the government needs to start looking at what it's charging for various services that are provided, and you know that's one way to encourage employment.
0: Mm. True. Yes. Well, in the meantime, how are prices going as far as commodities? And- well, the commodities are
1: all up up this week. Um, gold was up uh, two, two, 2.6% um, to um, $1,615, which once again is Australian dollars, not US. Um, silver was up 5% to $20.82. Um, copper, copper was up a fair bit um, to $7,242 this week or almost 4%. Um, nickel was up 13863 or 3% and tin was up to $21,395 or almost 9% on the week. So um, the, the commodity prices were all up. Um, the currencies, the Australian dollar continues to fall. Um, we'll say a bit about that next with him when Henry's here, but you know the, the forecasts the uh, forecasters are saying that the dollar's still got a fair farewell to fall um so all those people looking to go overseas it might be a bad time to pick up some um foreign currency so um yesterday the, the dollar closed at seventy 0.44 US cents, which was down almost two percent on the week. Against the great British pound, we were down to 46 pence, which is down one percent. Um, against the euro, we we're down 1.5 percent, which was to 62 euro cents.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the Canadian dollar, and Canada is going through similar issues that we're having here. Um, it's a very similar economy in a lot of ways. It was down, we were down 1.1 percent against that to 93.47.
0: So we're fairly well parity with them, but we're not parity, are we? Mm. We're fairly yes. We're affecting ha, having the same problems. You're having the same problems, but they're yeah. doing it, handling it better than we are. It
1: seems uh, maybe maybe um, <laughs> um, the um, the, US, uh, the stock exchange indexes um, we are down on the week by one point one five percent to five thousand one hundred nineteen. I think I think. You know, things are going the way where it's not going to be too long before we go through 5,000. Um, the US Dow Jones, were, that was up four point four percent on the week to 16,351. Uh, the NASDAQ was up 1.16% to 4,749. And the UK index was up 1.17 to 6,083. And the Hang Seng, um, which is the Hong Kong index, which is, uh, you know, considerable factor from mainland China was basically steady at twenty thousand nine hundred and thirty four on the week
0: mm, and then of course the question of oil
1: the crude oil price was up dramatically, dramatic in Australian dollar terms was up dramatically um, after the fall last week to twenty one uh, was up twenty one percent to sixty five dollars seventy two a barrel and the petrol price at the bowser was um, the Nra petrol price was um, $1.27 a litre for the unleaded in Newcastle and $1.33 a litre for the unleaded in Sydney. So, so um, Newcastle was down 2% on the week and Sydney was up 6 mm. So for once, it's cheaper to get your fuel here. Mm. Yeah,
0: well. <laughs> <laughs> well, will it last? <laughs> yeah,
1: who knows? And diesel, um, pretty steady on the week, $1.31 in Newcastle and Sydney was, was marginally down to $1.24.
0: Thursday finance and we're joined now for our market snapshot by Henry Jennings from uh, Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. And uh, Stephen Pritchard, over to you.
1: And Henry's down in
2: sunny Melbourne, I hear. I am in sunny Melbourne, uh, Stephen. I'm actually at the uh, Magellan Financial Group National Advisors' uh, lunch at, at Sofitel, which is very posh.
1: Oh, that'd be Sorry. nice. That'd be very yeah. nice. That'd be very it's nice. Very
2: nice. Good to hear what uh, the big boys in town have to say about the world and the markets, because I'm uh, I'm struggling myself to understand the markets at the moment.
1: Tom, um, you know they're buying. There's only one stock in their portfolio that's in Australia that they're buying.
2: Really, which one's that? Uh,
1: Woolworths. Woolworths.
2: Well, so, there's a. So you can ask them, kind of you can ask the them book. a question. Have, no, that's a strange one for them to buy. But there you go. You
1: can ask them that, and you'll sound very informed.
2: I will. Okay, I will indeed. <laughs>
1: Um, and so, speaking of, of buying things, Woodside's tried to buy Oil Search for $11.6 billion, and Oil Search has come out and said, no, 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 we're not going to sell.
2: Yes, I mean, the Oil Search, I guess, has got the jewel in the crown asset with this PNG uh, gas project they've got, and it's a very efficient one. And despite the fact the oil prices uh, collapsed from, uh, from initial expectations, certainly this is going to be throwing off an awful lot of cash going forward. Um, and obviously Woodside have been a little bit opportunistic and they've decided to uh, to make a tilt at oil search. Uh, whether they get it or not, I suspect at these prices there's no way they're going to. They're offering uh, one uh, Woodside share for every four oil search. I would imagine that they're going to have to sweeten the bid either with some cash or uh, or do something uh, clever to... Uh, to to get the Oil Search Board to
1: say yes. Uh, and there's a political issue too because the PNG government owns 10% of oil search.
2: Yes, and they've only just bought that 10% yeah. and they're long at a much higher level um, and they're not going to take a loss that quickly Uh, on their their stake so uh, I think at the moment the jury is very much out this is going to be a long game it will take a long time and there may be a bidding war if we see international players Mm -hmm. uh, like Chevron or some of the other big uh, US oil companies or UK oil companies have a look at this asset as well
1: and so where where does this leave our friends at Santos I mean last week All was talking or the week before All was talking about buying some of Santos's assets
2: well, Santos, unfortunately, at the moment, is stuck between the devil and the deep of the sea. They have a, they have a debt problem. The market hates them and is trying to uh, short the shares. There's about 88 million shares short in Santos, uh, which is an easy play for the hedge funds. Um, and they have to either sell some assets, which one of which is part of this, uh, this project and some of their P&G assets, or they have to raise capital. They, they really don't want to do either because one is uh, highly dilutive and the other one also is, um, is, away the crown jewels in, in times of trouble so um it's interesting times for santos
1: mm-hmm. and of course glencore which was another high flyer you know it, it seems to yes. be uh, uh got debt problems as well in this talk that it that may make an offer for um south 32 in order to solve its own problems
2: yes i mean glencore is the world's biggest sort of commodity trader um and this week they announced they were cutting back some copper production. They were gonna raise two and a half billion US to help with their debt issue and they're also gonna suspend the dividend. The shares actually responded very well. Um and they're up about fifteen, sixteen percent since they announced this. So uh, the market seems to have liked this, especially the the fact that they're cutting back on copper production. It's one of the few resource companies that actually is uh is cutting back on uh, on production while BHP and Rio, etc have been uh, pumping out commodities like there's no tomorrow.
1: Yeah, and BHP and Rio are stepping it up. They're pumping out commodities. <laughs> yeah,
2: no, I it's, it's, uh, you know. That, that's their answer to the lower prices is to increase production. Of course, increasing production causes lower prices, and so the spiral continues.
1: Yes, to the benefit of the Japanese uh, uh, steel mills. Uh-huh. Yes. And speaking of lowering of spirals, Deutsche Bank came out on Friday and said that the A-dollar was likely to fall to 50 cents.
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this is a game like pin the tail on the donkey, yeah. really. So it, it's good for a clickbait and it's good for sensational headlines and get some some good marketing uh, press for these guys. But, you know, uh, there'll be an, an analyst that comes out says the A-dollar's a going to 40 cents. I mean, these guys are wrong more times than they're right. It's not a difficult call at the moment to suspect that we're going to see further weakness in the Australian dollar, especially given the weakness in commodity prices. Mm -hmm. So they're not the bravest bunnies in the world, but um, uh, it's good for headlines, I guess, and and fear sells newspapers and fear sells clicks.
1: And um, interesting, as as a consequence of the fall in the A-dollar, the Chinese um, seem to have lost about $12 billion on their property investments in in Australia after the last few years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's not going to... Not going to really deter them, I suspect. I mean, one of the issues with, with property is that for the Chinese, they really want to try and get money out of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so taking losses on their property portfolio is not the end of the world. And, you know, property losses are not really crystallized until you actually sell the property. So although on paper, they're not looking too flash, um, they're probably quite happy to have got the money out of the country, especially during this but a recent anti-corruption
1: binge by their government. Yes, it's interesting where this money is all actually coming from. Mm. Anyhow, we'll, we'll come yes. back in a minute and talk about um, Qantas's landing in Hong Kong.
0: This is Thursday Finance. Thanks to our sponsor, Pritchard and & Partners, and Stephen Pritchard, we're in the middle of our market snapshot and Henry Jennings is giving us the benefit of his view on the world.
1: Henry. Hi. Hi, Stephen. We're back. Um, We're back. We're back. Um, Qantas is going to uh, try and get more landing spots in uh, Hong Kong as a broader strategy for growth.
2: Well, I guess, you know, Qantas has been one of the superstars of the market in the last couple of years, if if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. Um, More by uh, default in some respects in terms of the oil price falling. But certainly their growth strategy includes getting more uh, Asian tourists and travellers to come uh, from there. And obviously Hong Kong is a huge hub for them. If they can uh, increase that rather than their traditional sort of the kangaroo route from uh, from the UK, um, it's obviously good for Qantas. And so, you know, Alan Joyce has very much been um, for the month recently, so um, it'll be interesting to see how they go. But if they can get some more slots, they can certainly drive that Asian expansion.
1: Yeah, I mean, hasn't Jetstar been trying to get a licence in Hong Kong for years?
2: Yeah, I think they have. I think they've had some issues as well. So, um, yeah, I think the, the jury's still out on whether Jetstar can expand, but obviously Qantas mm-hmm. wants to try and get in on less yeah. lucrative uh, Asian uh, tourist trade.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, Westpac's new hybrids came on yesterday um, yeah. uh, at below the issue price.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, hybrids, they, they're not my favourite thing. They, they, they seem sort of riskless, but they actually carry more risks than you, you imagined and... and you know, at the end of the day, I'd probably prefer to own the actual head shares rather than the hybrid, mainly from a yield perspective. And then you can also... Um, use some of that extra mm-hmm. um, yield that you get to, uh, to hedge the position somewhat. So, um, yeah, not my favourite part of the market, hybrids, but they have proved very popular with both uh, investors and uh, from people that issue them because they're a good way for them to raise capital.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that retail investors understand these non-viability clauses that are in the new series of hybrids and, you know, no. at the very, very time you want them to act like fixed interest, they're going to convert to equities. Yes. so and... I,
2: I think they're, they're a dangerous Slightly
1: dangerous product. Hmm. And speaking of hybrids, down at Paperlink's, the uh, there seems to be a the hybrid people want to convert to the ordinary shares.
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this is, um, you know, kind of a, a private equity, uh, takeover by stealth kind of thing. And what we've seen this with a number of companies, you'll, you'll probably remember that, uh, Oakbridge, uh, it's not Oakbridge, Oak Tree Capital, uh, emerged, uh, from the sort of the ruins of Billabong is, is one of the, the big shareholders there. And recently they have a, a big shareholding in Quicksilver as well, which is a U.S., uh, surfware brand. So this, this is kind of a, a bit of a playbook from, uh, from private equity and hedge fund 101 is to try and convert debt into equity um, at the bottom of the market and take control of a company. And it's obviously, this is what's happening with Paperlink, which has been a pretty much a big uh, disaster over the years.
1: Mm-hmm. It might be good that they keep it. Um, yeah, they <laughs> can have it as well. As that's I'm right. sure. and, and investors are, are, are starting to see Q V E for a couple of hundred million over disclosure issues.
2: Yeah, I mean, this, this goes to the core of, I guess, uh, the continuous disclosure requirements that the exchange has. Um, and investors were somewhat shocked. And, of course, there's screaming headlines. And Morris Blackburn, the lawyers, are uh, pumping it up to try and claim money. You we're know, yep, yep. talking about financial ruin and you know, sleepless nights and all this sort of stuff. But, unfortunately, you know, the shares, shares are volatile. And um, this is part of owning shares. In this case, it does look like QBE has... Um, I wouldn't say done the wrong thing, but there are certainly some issues to look at with the QBE disclosure uh, regime and why this came as such a huge shock. Normally, companies tend to try and soften the market up before these kind of announcements and and let it leak out gradually rather than uh, shock the market. Mm -hmm. So they've probably Mm -hmm. got a reasonable case, and this one will take a long time, I suspect, to solve. Yep,
1: I think that's right. So I think yep. that's it for this week, Henry. You can go back Fantastic. to your conference. Well, I'm going to conference. go and have my lunch, lunch at the
2: lovely Sofitel and listen to the words of wisdom from the Magellan people about what's happening in the world. Okay. Have Good a seated. lovely
0: time, Henry, and we'll talk to you again next Thank week you. on Thursday Finance. On to a new RFM, if you've got a question you'd like to put to Stephen Pritchard today, something to do with your investment or your taxation or... Your stock market. I suppose a lot of people are still putting in their tax, uh, putting their tax things together at this stage. Then uh, give us a call four nine two one six two one six. To NURFM, this is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And 49216216, uh, if you've got a question you'd like to put to Stephen today. Uh, but in the meantime, while well, waiting for your question, superannuation, Stephen Pritchard, there's, um, we think of it as being money we put away during our working life and it's untouchable until you get to the end. It is like that, isn't it?
1: Um, to a certain extent, there's a, to, to get money out of superannuation what you have to do is you have to meet a um, a thing called a condition of release. And and once you've met that, that, that enables you to take um, some money or all money out of superannuation. Now, a, as you said, the, the normal um, condition of release is that you retire at or above the preservation age. Yeah. Now... <laughs> this yes.
0: makes me think of Egyptian mummies. But. Yes.
1: <laughs> now, most people think that their preservation age is 55. But what's actually happened is, is, is um, despite all this talk about um, increasing the age before you can get money out of super, that's already there. So, so, so for people who were born before the 1st of July 1960, that, that is an actual fact. It's 55. So after you're 55 and you're retired, you can take your money out of super. But for people who were born between the July 1960 and 1961, it's actually 56. So those people can't take money out of super in the normal course of events until they're 56. And people who were born after 1964 can't take money out of super until until they're 60. So the, the preservation age where you can usually take your money out is is actually creeping up already. Right. So that's been in the legislation for a long time.
0: So that's planned to go. Is it going to stop when it reaches a certain oh, at, point?
1: At, at present, once you get to sixty-four, um, your preservation age is sixty. So after you, if you're born in born after the first of July, nineteen sixty-four, you can't get your money out in the normal course of events until you're sixty.
0: So sixty will then become a blanket yeah. age for everybody. Well, you've while. still
1: you've still got to retire though. Yeah. Okay. So then. After you reach the next the next step is after you reach sixty five
0: yeah
1: um, um, you can of course once you reach sixty five you can take all your money out of your superannuation fund right right but you wouldn't
0: normally do that would you
1: um, not not normally I mean okay. depends if you need some you can take it out um, your best option you know is usually to convert it to a to a Tom kind of pension product and of course the, if we Go.
0: yes um jeff 's on the line, but he doesn 't want to speak on air however it 's all about uh, capital gains tax, and uh, his son has i think a a tax bill on a property that he 's recently sold of thirty two thousand dollars Now it seems a lot when you think about that. Um, how does capital gains tax work on properties that you 've sold
1: well basically um, what you do is you you um Get your cost base, you subtract your sale price off, um, and then you look at um, the difference. Is the capital gain? You get a fifty percent discount on that. So that's for example, if you've uh, bought it for five hundred, you sell it for six, um, your gain's one hundred. Um, you get a fifty percent discount, which brings it down to fifty thousand, and you pay tax on that. Um, fifty thousand at your marginal rate.
0: So your marginal rate is the rate at which you pay normal, normal tax. tax. It just tax. gets added
1: onto your normal uh, income okay. after the fifty percent discount.
0: All right, and that's that. That's that tax of the extra that you've sold. So yep. that's that's how it goes.
1: That's how it goes. So so you know if he's paid thirty two thousand in tax, he, he's, he's made a he's he's made a. Um, Quite a healthy gain there.
0: Yes, so that's not half the gain at all. That's no, so the gain, the, gain. The, 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 yeah. the
1: gain would be over, um, on that, the gain would be over uh, 120,000, 130,000, maybe even more, depending on his marginal rate. So he's made a minimum of gain of 120,000.
0: And when are the times that you don't pay capital gains tax? Never. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the, the major exemption is, is on your principal place of residence. Right. So if, if if it's your principal place of residence you don't pay and it's solely your principal place of residence, you don't pay capital gains tax on the sale of that.
0: Now what about a property that you've acquired some years ago?
1: Uh, before It has to be acquired before the 9 of September 1985.
0: 1985. Yeah, so. so if
1: you acquired the property before then... And you haven't made any significant changes to the property, um, that would be exempt from capital gains tax.
0: What would significant changes be? Things like adding on a, a wing or yep.
1: that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, things. so then you just have to start apportioning it. Um, so for, for these people, for example, who, who are, a, um, if you bought a property after 1985 and it's your principal place of residence, and then you go and see one of these ads on the television and build this granny flat in the back to rent out for 400 a week, what you're suddenly doing is you're making your house house accessible for capital gains tax. Mm. So before you go on these adventures, you need to um, think about it. So if you sold this property and they've calculated the tax bill, there's not much you can do about it now except pay it.
0: Well, we've been thinking about uh, tax because it is that time of year, Stephen Pritchard, as we are in Thursday Finance. On to a new RFM, and Tracy is interested in tax too. And uh, Tracy, your question for Stephen. Yes, hi, Stephen. Um,
3: you were talking about age preservations with the superannuation. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand, like you're saying, about, um, look, I was born in 1963, so I think it is 59 that I can retire. But you still then have to pay tax then when you take that superannuation, don't no, you? Just, and what is just, the
1: tax rate? Just a minute. So you were born in nineteen sixty-three. Yes. So, so fifty-nine. Um, fifty-nine is when you can start to access the super, provided you're provided you're fully retired.
3: Yes.
1: Yes. Right. So yeah. So that's right. You'd have to pay fifteen percent.
3: It is fifteen percent. That was what I wanted to clarify. Yes, I just wasn't quite sure because my husband's just retired, but of course he's sixty-five, and because he's under that income barrier, he didn't then have to pay any extra tax. He just took his super. But yes, because of my, when I get to that age, yes, I'll then if I retire at fifty-nine, I'll have to pay fifteen percent super.
1: Yeah, but why, why? Why would you? Why would you take that out?
3: Well, because we're not really financial. <laughs>
1: So would... And
3: come come to that time, like we will probably need to access cash. And I, I only went now work nine hours a week, so it's I don't have very much going into super.
1: Okay, okay, you might be better off looking at getting an allocated pension instead of taking the lump sum.
0: All oh, right, right, okay,
3: that's right.
1: Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. okay. That's right. okay. Thank thanks you. for your call.
0: Thanks, okay, Tracy, thank and Les has rung in as well. Les, a question about superannuation for. STEM. Hi, Les.
2: Oh, hey, Steve. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I'm a 58-year-old gentleman. Yep. Yeah, and I was worried whether I'd be able to draw on the superannuation to pay for a prepaid funeral, like pay it all out, just get it done. Talk uh, to my two girls. No. Um, no. You know.
1: No. no. You can you can you can draw on the superannuation to pay a funeral for a a dependent expenses okay for a dependent you have to make an application to the department of human resources (laughs) but it's a well the the legislation i've seen only says that for pay for the funeral doesn't say anything about a prepaid funeral but
2: rather than go weekly 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 pay it off pay it off and then if you skip a payment they drop you back to pay nothing and all this is to buy the plot and the burial ground and everything else and pay it straight out
1: um, I, I think the Newcastle Permanent's got a prepaid funeral account that you can just contribute money to. Mm, so well, I'd, well, go, I'd go and talk to them. But you know, you know, you can, it doesn't hurt. You've got to do it. You've got to make an application to the Department of Human Resources. who have now got a specific form. So mm. you know, if, if you're really interested in doing this, put the form in and see what they say. Oh, okay. You so know, they're, they're the form west the where Department of Human Resources.
0: What uh, you, what incorporates Centrelink and in those ah uh, yeah yeah as well. yeah
1: it used to be called Centrelink that's yes. right yeah so so the legislation does say pay for a funeral it doesn't say anything about prepaid but I suppose if you put the form in um, you, you know yeah if you pay it up now it's going to
2: work, it works out works out cheaper yeah, than yeah.
1: It but just... but I, I know the Newcastle Permit used to have a funeral savings account so you can, you can yeah. try them uh, through their uh, Friendly Society product
0: okay. All right, thank you very much. Good luck with that, Les. And uh, we're thinking about ways you can can actually tap into your super um, when it's already in its super fund. And uh, where do we get to, Stephen, with that?
1: Well, of course, we got to death... No death. Okay. I think we got to death. Well, because if you die, your money has to come out of superannuation. Um, um, There's some tax issues here. Um, You can, um, if it comes out and is paid to a dependent, it goes to the dependent tax-free. And if it it um, goes to a um, non-dependent, it becomes taxable. So there's opportunities for estate planning here. Um, if you're becoming a becoming a fair age, um, you might want to consider taking the money out of out of super, um, because generally when you've got that age, you're going to leave it to your children, and children aren't going to be dependents. Um, taking it out to super and, and saving the fifteen percent fifteen percent tax that would otherwise be payable.
0: Would there not? What what would you do? Give it to your children?
1: Oh, you can just take it out and put it your own name.
0: And put it into some account where it's earning some kind of interest. Yeah, well,
1: if you you know, realistically, if you're 85 and you've got a large super balance, um, you know, you look at the life expectancy tables. Yes. And if you've got a large super balance, um, you know, say half a million dollars, and something happens to you, and that's going to go to your children, um, there's forty five thousand dollars going to go straight to the tax office.
0: Right. So that would avoid that. Yeah. So so you look at you know
1: you need to look at. I mean, we've got a gentleman planning his funeral at 58. Um, You know, it's just another planning technique that that you might want to look at if you've got a large balance in super. Mm. Um, Because your children are only dependent as as when they really are dependent, but your spouse is always a dependent.
0: Right, okay. okay. So you would then, if you invested in your own name outside super, you would then be paying some tax on it every year, but it wouldn't amount to the amount... Mm. Well, um, of course, you've got to, depending
1: how long you live, Jane.
0: Yes, of course. And if you live to 98, it's going to be more so. Well, you
1: know, (laughs) that's up for you to decide. Um, um, And there's permanent incapacity. There's there's special provisions that um, you can get release under if you've become permanently incapacitated. Yes. Yes. um now this raises another issue that some funds have an insurance policy that that was entered into before the 1st of July 2014 that that will provide provide you with um a permanent incapacity payment that you can't do any longer so if you're going to swap um um superannuation funds Um, You need to have a look at particularly what your insurance cover is in your old fund because if you've got one of these old grandfather policies, you can't get them anymore.
0: Okay, so...
1: Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So so this isn't quite... Okay, and then, of course, there's the terminal medical illness condition. Yes. Okay, so if 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 you've got diagnosed with a terminal medical... Condition. Condition. Um, You can have your superannuation out provided you get two doctors to certify that, that you're not going to survive for 24 months. Right. And I think that's proposed to be brought back to 12 months. Okay, right. so that you can then access, access your, your super, super to pay for your care or, or, or whatever.
0: Which would be increased uh, yeah. on what yep. you have known before.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, there's the hardship provisions. Yes. So if you've got financial hardship, you can make an application to um, the Department of uh, Human Resources um, to to have a payment of up to $10,000 a year. Um, paid for financial hardship, so you have to make the application to the government department. The government department either approves or, or disapproves it. Then the applica- then you have to forward that onto the super fund for release. Um, so, so it's not something that you can do overnight.
0: Mm. Oh, thanks for that. That's uh, certainly fairly um, complex. Thanks, Stephen Fritchard, and Thursday Finance. Will be back next Thursday after the midday news on Two nurfm FM.